Welcome to DLA Piper's Better Contracts podcast series. My name is Greg Tulqua. I'm a partner in the commercial contracts team at the global business law firm DLA Piper. I'm based in France. Welcome to today's episode. Together with my colleagues Thilo von Bodungen, commercial contracts partner in our German office, and Paddy Dwyer, commercial contracts legal director in our UK office, we'll be exploring the topic of supply chain crisis. We'll be discussing what we see in the market, we'll be explaining how the law could help when facing supply chain crisis, and we'll provide some key takeaways. So probably the most significant challenges facing all sectors currently are supply chain disruption and inflationary pressures. The root causes are numerous and compelling, post-COVID recovery spurring demand and production, scarcity of resource, war in Ukraine and related sanctions, continued COVID-related lockdowns and restrictions, inflation across the board. Oh my. So let's get started. What do we see? So let's start with Tilo. Tilo, uh, what do you see in Germany? Yeah, welcome everyone. It's actually a lot and it's been several waves, so to say, several phases we see. So when Corona started, we initially saw simply supply shortage issues, difficulties to deliver. Sellers couldn't get hold of the products. Um, there were plant shutdowns and other interruptions. So simply there were no products available. And then there came the general cost increase, starting with raw materials like wood, but later on also costs for logistics, the costs for containers, and then there came energy increases. And then now we uh, literally have an increase of almost all prices. So in addition to a shortage of supplies, we saw now this huge increase in pricing as a problem. And then, of course, there came the recent political challenges with uh, the Ukraine war, the sanctions on Russia, in particular, Germany exports a lot of products, so there was an impossibility to ship to destinations in Russia for certain products or to use specific products that have been ordered that ultimately were intended to be used in Russia. There were further impossibilities to do payments with sanctioned banks or sanctioned customers. And then again, there was a stop of supplies coming out of Ukraine for example, cable harnesses for the car manufacturers, which are very important, or wheat. And then further increase of pricing, energy, gas prices, all energy prices exploded. And then on top of it or parallel on it, we see a lot of changes for SESG reasons. So certain countries are seen as high risk, including for political reasons. So there's a tendency to change the supply chains, move to other countries, source from other countries that also impacts the supply chain. So quite a lot of different influences that kind of accumulate and make the situation more complicated. Well, that's indeed a very long laundry list of uh, very critical factors. Paddy, what about the UK? It's about the same? Yes, thanks, Greg. Some very similar issues as flagged by Tilo in Germany. And in addition to those, the UK has some particular additional factors as well. So the, the first and most prevalent of which is labour shortages. And this is labour shortages across the workforce and across all levels. So any level of sort of seniority. And while Brexit has had some impact on this, Potentially the bigger factor has been older workers leaving the workforce and not being replaced at quite the same rate. In addition to that, export and import delays as a result of capacity at ports has had quite an impact. And this is as a result of both bureaucratic issues, so, so paperwork, importers and exporters both being confused by additional or different requirements. 
and has been more recently exacerbated by strikes at key ports across the country. I'm hearing stories of from many clients who have experienced a delay in extracting products from European ports and many more who are experiencing delays on their exports, which is, of course, of particular concern for those supplying perishable goods. And as Tilo referred to, while all European countries are being impacted by the, the strength of the dollar, the reduced value of the pound exacerbates this even further. And we're yet really to, exceed it, to see the explosion of exports, which we would expect to see with a weak domestic currency. But actually, if we did see that explosion of exports, it would probably have a further impact on the efficiency of the ports in any event. As a result, we're seeing some shorter geographic supply chains to reduce the impact of the weak pound and to reduce some of the issues faced around imports and exports. All right. Thanks, Patty. For sure, it does add complicated factors. Well, as far as France is concerned, we see approximately the same factors as in Germany. And uh, and also maybe one more comment uh, regarding energy in particular, energy independence this is something that France was fortunate to have through nuclear energy. And, and currently, energy independence is considerably diminished by the fact that a large number of France's nuclear reactors are undergoing maintenance. And some of them were even closed a few years ago for political reasons. So while all those factors that we've been talking about clearly have the combined effect of creating a significant increase in costs. It looks like many companies just have got to increase their prices unilaterally or, or at least to renegotiate their contracts. And sometimes the situation is so critical that they even try to terminate loss-making contracts. So what do we see in terms of what companies try to accomplish and how does it work legally? So we see companies in all sectors reaching out to their customers and uh, introducing price increases or at least requesting uh, renegotiation. Sometimes they have to threaten termination or they even send termination notices. In other cases, they try to be excused for an impossibility to deliver when that is the case. And clearly this places everyone in an uncomfortable situation because uh, it makes relationships tense and even creates viability risks for businesses. So if we go back to maybe four objectives that we see being pursued, uh, the first objective would be price increase. So price increase attempt that can be unilateral. Tilo, would that work in Germany? The general principle under German law is the Latin principle of pacta sunt servanda. So agreements have to be uh, complied with. And uh, unless such agreements set out such an express right, the agreed terms have to be followed. It's a very strong principle under German law, and it still is, at least up until now. There is, first of all, to be seen whether the agreement itself allows for such adjustment. And if that's not, not the case, the strong principle of Pacta und Servanda will most likely prevail. There is a German legal institute called Störung der Geschäftsgrundlage, roughly translated frustration, that may be invoked under certain circumstances to achieve such right to adjust prices. But the thresholds to invoke such principles are really high. But it's something we see very often being invoked, at least as a legal argument, regardless of the actual legal situation. 
Okay, well, that's clear. And under French law, you would also have a very clear risk of breach of contract if you went ahead and changed contracts terms, and in particular, the price unilaterally, except in certain uh, situation, could even be considered as constructive termination. And clearly, you'd be exposed to having to pay damages that would cover it. In particular, the price difference between the existing price and the price for the alternative source. And if you go ahead and suspend performance, could also create a disruption of the production for your business partner and, and possibly some losses. So this is the situation where there's no particular mechanism in order to amend or revise the price. But there could also be an agreement to amend the price. And Paddy, what do you see on that front? Yeah, thanks, Greg. In the UK, similar to Germany and France, the ability to unilaterally change price is restricted. So we generally see price changes done through a pre-existing mechanism that is in a contract. Um, these are generally referred to as change control provisions in the UK. And they can vary from full agreement provisions where any kind of change whatsoever requires the consent of both parties to relatively limited change provisions where one or more parties may be restricted only in certain circumstances as to things they can object to. But in any event, you must follow the provisions set out in the contract to amend price. We're not just seeing no changes to price in the UK, we're also seeing changes to the pricing mechanism which parties are applying to the contract. So moving from a relatively traditional closed book or fixed price type model to an open book or cost plus type model, and that commercial model is intended to protect against the changes to commodity prices, to fuel prices, to energy prices, to the costs of labor. When agreeing those provisions, it's important to understand which component parts of a price are subject to change. And also when you're applying your margin or markup to those changes, how you account for that. Is that set out as a percentage? And then if, if the commodity prices, the underlying costs increase exponentially, the margin obviously increases exponentially. Or is this a fixed margin, a, a, a sum, a fixed sum amount that you apply to your costs, which whilst being a certain amount and whilst protecting the customer from disproportionate increases, from a supplier's point of view, that may hit your margins and, and what your financial reporting looks like. Further, we also see some automatic adjustment type mechanisms, and these are generally where prices change, not necessarily by agreement, but in accordance with a predetermined mechanism in a contract. This is usually applied to indexation clauses. And in the UK, the indices that are most commonly used are the retail price index and the consumer price index. Well, thanks, Patty. Definitely worth exploring and, and putting in place some of those mechanisms. Tilo, is there anything else that you can think of? It's a similar situation under German law. So you would try to agree on a suitable price adjustment mechanism. Restrictions under German law in the B2B context and outside of general terms and conditions and standard agreements are rare. We have one strange law called Preisklauselgesetz, which has certain restrictions for price adjustment provisions, but it only applies in a mere national context. So if you have a cross-border situation, you wouldn't have restrictions. And then, of course, we have stronger restrictions, even in the B2B context, if it comes to standard agreements. So if agreements are used to be intended to be used on a repeated basis. But apart from that, we see all kinds of mechanisms and we would strongly recommend to do them. And it ties into what Paddy said for the UK. What we also see very often, and I could imagine it's the same for your countries, is 
provisions that do not necessarily set out a strict mechanism how to adjust prices, but merely say that the parties have to renegotiate or shall renegotiate if certain conditions are met or if certain circumstances occur. And of course, these provisions are only helpful to a certain extent because they do not, at least from a German law perspective, set out a strong specific right to adjust prices, but rather it's kind of an effort you have to make to discuss. And these provisions often do not contain a sanction or an ultimate legal outcome in case the parties cannot agree. So such provisions tend to favor the party that is happy with the current situation and not the party that wants to achieve changes. Because if there is no agreement, usually and without further drafting of that provisions, the old situation continues to apply. Hmm, absolutely. Well, thanks, Tilo. In France, the situation would typically be similar. I'd like to point out a specific regime. However, that's for master agreements and services agreements. You have the possibility to agree from the outset that the price will be determined by the seller for a master sales agreement or by the service provider for a services agreement. This is not necessarily used a lot in practice, but you have to be aware that the uh, the law offers that possibility if you agree on it from the outset. And if you have clauses that give one party the unilateral right to revise, you have to be careful and make sure that those clauses would not be considered as significantly imbalanced because there's a very elaborate concept and demanding concept of a significant imbalance under French law. So typically negotiated contractual mechanisms would be the preferred way. So we've seen that there are contractual ways of revising, but are there ways that the law directly offers of adjusting prices or finding another remedy when you're confronted with such high costs? The reason I'm asking is that there is something under French law, under what could be called statutory hardship, and the, the actual word in French is, uh, under French law, is improvision. So it's when you have an unforeseeable change of circumstances that the party did not accept the risk of, and uh, that makes performance excessively onerous. Then you can trigger this mechanism and you can request renegotiation. And if basically, if it leads nowhere... Either party can ask a court to revise the contract or even terminate the contract. But you have to keep on performing whilst you're negotiating. Tilo, is there anything similar in Germany, perhaps? Yeah, roughly speaking, I mentioned earlier this uh, German Institute of Störung der Geschäftsgrundlage, which could be roughly translated as disturbance of the equilibrium of the contract. It's a principle that has been developed under case law in the 1920s when there was this huge inflation. And it roughly similar to what you said, but with further factors says if circumstances which have become the basis of the contract have changed seriously or materially and the parties have not foreseen this change, then an adjustment of the contract may be demanded. But and now comes the important part weighing all circumstances of the individual case and in particular the contractual or statutory allocation of risks. And um, case law in Germany was very restrictive to use that principle in the past, in past crisis. And it said that generally, if you enter into a frame agreement with fixed prices as a seller or a supplier, you will have to stick to these fixed prices and cannot invoke this principle. Now, recent case law in Germany indicated that 
it may change in the future. There was a, a decision that regarded rental agreements for store spaces. And it, the question was whether the tenants could adjust the rent when they were forced to shut down their stores and couldn't do any business. And case law indicated that there may be another allocation of risks. And then, as I mentioned earlier, the principle has been developed when there was this amazing, huge inflation rates. And to be really honest, what we currently see partly as cost increases has reached such extreme levels. So we're talking about partly 900% increase of energy prices or similar, that this basis and this argument may be possible to be invoked again. But again, it's too early to say that this is settled case law. And we currently do not know how courts will decide cases as of today that may be decided in only one or two years. So the current situation is still that the thresholds are really high to invoke this principle of Störung der Geschäftsgrundlage. Hmm. All right. Thanks, Tilo. Perhaps a second objective that companies are pursuing and still with the same idea of it trying to introduce a, a price increase would be to suspend delivery if the customer rejects the price increase or, or suspend deliveries because it is too uh, um, onerous to perform. So let's assume there's no valid ground under the contract or, or by law to impose a unilateral price increase. Um, Paddy, would there be ground for a threat to suspend or for suspension under English law? Only where a contract permits it. So there is no right under English law either to adjust pricing just talking to the points that Tilo just talked to. There is no right to English law to adjust pricing. There is no right to English law necessarily to suspend provision of services. So the, the suspension of those provision of services could amount to a breach of contract, even where the provision of those services has become unprofitable by the supplier. So suspending services, terminating services where you don't have a contractual right to do so, acts such as that must be exercised with great care. Mm, I understand. Not a real surprise. And what about Germany? Is it dangerous as well? Not surprisingly, very similar situation. So it's a very dangerous argument to invoke or very dangerous fact to threaten or to stop supplies. You carefully have to see as a supplier whether you have the right to do so and you wouldn't have the right generally. It depends really on the agreement. And if the agreement itself sets out duties to supply, you would clearly be in breach and such duties can also be, and that is also said that case law can be not be set out in the agreement explicitly, but be invoked by arguments like good faith, treu und glauben, for example, what has been practiced in the past or how dependent the purchasing party is. So I fully agree that to threaten to stop supplies is something that needs to be carefully considered. If you stop supplies or if you threaten to stop supplies and you weren't entitled to do so, the other party is uh, entitled to termination for good cause and damage claims resulting from such stop of supply. Under German law, under specific circumstances, also a claim for specific performance is uh, conceivable so that the supplying party is actually really forced to su supply specific goods. So be careful <laughs> in that situation. There is no general principle allowing it. You really need to see how the individual agreement is drafted. Yes, same in France. That would be the same. That would be quite difficult as well. And you would have to look carefully into the agreement. And in the context of renegotiation, you, you have to keep on performing anyway. So a third objective could be termination. Termination for convenience outside a particular breach 
on the part of the other party. And under French law, if we start with French law, uh, the extent to which you can do that pretty much depends on whether you have an indefinite term contract or a definite fixed uh, term contract. If it's a fixed term contract or definite term contract, you have to check if you have agreed that there would be a right to terminate for convenience during the term. And if so, how is it going to work? Are there any termination fees to be paid? If it's an indefinite term contract, the principle is that either party can walk away at any time subject to giving a uh, sufficient notice period. And so you have to look at the contractual notice period in any event, but that might not be enough. Because irrespective of the notice period that is uh, set forth in the contract, you must have a notice that is sufficiently long. Because if you don't give a notice that is sufficiently long, you may be liable for abrupt termination. So that's absolutely critical to um, look exactly at the type of agreement and what you have in the agreement. What about Germany, Tilo? I think we have to distinguish two ways of terminating. So <clears throat> termination for good cause would likely not be possible simply due to increased prices. The same principles as discussed before would apply. And then roughly similar to France, if you look at how you can ordinary terminate the agreement um, without invoking good cause, you would have to look at the contractual provisions. And if it's fixed terms and if it's clear termination rights, likely the uh, contractual situation will prevail. But if there is no fixed termination periods, the similar arguments could be invoked as the ones you raised. You would have to weigh how dependent the buyer is and whether there is any protection he shall enjoy under good faith considerations to not stop abruptly. Again, a lot of factors would have to be weighed and circumstances. But if termination periods are unclear, there is room for interpretation and for invoking good faith that may prolong and extend termination periods. Thanks, Tito. What about uh, English law in the UK, Patty? Thanks, Greg. And, and not dissimilar, really, in the UK, in that for a termination event, you would have to rely on on what is written in the contract. Maybe slightly different to France. If, if you do have a long-term arrangement, which has a short-term termination notice period, it's generally what is in the contract which would prevail. So irrespective of how long the contract has been, if you have a, an explicit notice period in your contract, that would prevail. More commonly, though, what we see is contracts which are either ambiguous or the notice periods are unclear, or maybe there are no contract terms at all, and it's just been a long-standing relationship between two parties. In that instance, uh, English law has a similar concept that you cannot have a contract in perpetuity. So either party may be able to terminate in those circumstances subject to reasonable notice. And the, the reasonable notice would be determined by a number of different factors, not least how long the relationship has been ongoing. Thanks, Patty. So then it leaves us with possibly a fourth objective that we mentioned originally, uh, which is a bit of an outlier because the context here is different. That would be where you're trying to be excused because you're facing an impossibility to perform. So when can you be excused as per the contract or by law? I'll start with the French view. So under French law, there's a strong force majeure concept, but it's really reserved to impossibility to perform when you are just not physically able to perform. There's an impossibility that is due to circumstances that could be considered as unforeseeable and that are exterior to you and that you can't overcome despite reasonable measures. 
then you do have this force majeure mechanism that you can possibly rely on. In addition, you could have agreed upon a, a force majeure clause in your agreement that defines the circumstances in which, in case of impossibility to perform, you can be excused. What about uh, the UK, Paddy? Yeah, so in the UK, force majeure is a concept which is created by contracts. So there, there is no concept of force majeure at common law. So you would have to agree a force majeure clause and the drafting of that will determine how it's applied. There is, though, a common law concept of frustration. And frustration mirrors the second point, really, that you just described, Greg, which is events which occur which are unexpected. They're outside of the reasonable control of the parties and they render a contract either impossible to perform or render it radically different to the contract that was entered into. It's a bit of a mix of relief because it's it's not just relief, it results in the contract being deemed to be fulfilled and therefore terminated. So it's it's not necessarily a short-term fix. It brings to an end the contract itself. It is a high bar. The courts interpret this quite narrowly. And whilst it does exist at common law, it's not a remedy which is frequently seen or frequently granted by the courts. Thanks, Patty. Uh, what about Germany, Tito? Yeah, in, in the end, similar situation. So also under German law, there is no general concept of force majeure that would excuse you. It only exists if explicitly agreed in the agreement. And then the consequences will be determined really by the wording of that provision. What we have is the concept of impossibility as well that frees you under certain circumstances from your duty to supply. But still, there may be damage claims depending on the allocation of risks. Another merely contractual, only contractual mechanism is uh, what we call Selbstbelieferungsvorbehalt or translated self-supply reservation. This concept means that the seller shall be excused to supply if its own suppliers fail to supply him. This can be agreed on in agreements under certain circumstances. But again, this is something that has to be agreed on explicitly and wouldn't be invoked by statutory law. Mm. All right. Thanks, Tilo. So we've seen that the legal landscape is very much a balancing act and can prove to be uh, challenging. There are certainly ways of navigating those challenges, in particular through adequate drafting and contract interpretation. But we're going to look at whether there are some takeaways or recommendations that we can offer other than careful contract drafting. So uh, perhaps I can offer the first one, uh, which is that fixed prices are not your friends nowadays, and that long contracts are dangerous. And even even short contracts are, are dangerous if there's no price adjustment clause in those uh, current and troubled times. Tilo, would you would you offer another takeaway? Yeah, no, I, it's absolutely the same takeaway. I agree that protection against price increases as a seller has become something inevitable. What has been normal in the past, that fixed prices have been agreed for a certain period, is at least for the supplier no longer recommendable. And it will be difficult in the future to balance both parties' interests because the buying party, of course, and intends to achieve a certain predictability and the selling party will have to safeguard and protect itself against price increases. We see different mechanisms and some of them have been discussed before. Cost plus model has been discussed. 
there is an interesting fact also if prices increase in the way they do currently that a cost plus model with a percentage margin may also not be appropriate because the percentage increases materially and you would rather go for a fixed amount. We see price adjustment provisions as discussed before. And to balance the interest of both parties, corridors providing for certain predictability is maybe something the parties can agree on in which the prices will be stable, but outside the prices will to be adjusted. Definitely fixed prices for a long time will be something from the past. And I think I would add to that, Greg, that not just from a drafting perspective, but maybe an ongoing contract management perspective. One of the things that we're seeing as a as an effective behavior is more mature decision making from customers in certain instances as well. So irrespective almost of what the contract says, it's acknowledging that holding suppliers to fixed long-term prices, which may be unprofitable, doesn't result in in good relationships. It doesn't result in a good service. And so almost irrespective of what the contract says, we're seeing parties come together to agree something which is a, a bit more reasonable in the short term. The question becomes, what's in it for the customer? Is that a longer term contract with reduced pricing overall? Is it some more beneficial KPIs or terms or something like that? But there needs to be a sweetener in there. But we are seeing a, a bit more of a collaborative relationship. Yeah, I fully agree with that. Uh, we, we see a tendency in, in new collaborations, joint ventures, cooperations between business entities to solve these problems and to address them in a new way. And then maybe a, a final observation. What we also see is that a lot of these discussions we have are done outside a legal argument. So it's partly very cooperative. So we see parties really having the intention to solve the problem and move on with a joint solution. And we also see arguments that are not necessarily always very legal <laughs> and legalistic, but very factual. And that can be a good thing because we often see a pragmatic and useful approach that seems to be solution oriented. So it's a slight move also away from purely legal arguments which may uh, result in a proper new basis for future cooperation. That's right. And there could also be a, a business opportunity and maybe a slightly longer term way of uh, mitigating costs. It could be to further accelerating productivity gains uh, through investment in tech and achieving an industry 4.0 status. And in particular, we know that Automation is being sped up to counter in particular labor shortages. And the reorganization of the supply chain could also be an opportunity to create the uh, proverbial green factory or greener factory and uh, achieve new milestones from an SESG perspective. All right. Well, thank you. Thanks, Tilo. Thanks, Patty, for sharing your insights on uh, the very difficult topic of supply chain crisis with us today. Do look out for further episodes in this series and uh, click subscribe to be the first to know. Thank you for listening to Better Contracts. <laughs>